one of the things that happens is the complexities and three-dimensionalities of the traditional medicine gets flattened and you end up having a kind of Xerox copy of this living thing and it's not as useful. So that's, that's the kind of thought where you just, oh, here's a piece of information, I keep adding it. But we want a three-dimensional, almost like a 3D printer version of knowledge where you go over and over and over again. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. It's difficult. No, not difficult. Impossible. Impossible to see at the outset how something might unfold, where over time an idea, a question, or a nudge of inspiration just might take you. It is only in retrospect that I can connect the dots that link together the pivotal moments between hearing the words, the people that will listen to your podcast are not the same as those who would read your website, and episode number 300 of Geological. And here we are, episode 300. It's surprising to me, surprising in the same way that I look back on 25 plus years of noodling on the question of how does acupuncture work? That question started dogging me after realizing that as much as I hate needles, I loved acupuncture. Well, loved what it did for me. I didn't like the feeling of the needles, but I thoroughly enjoyed how I felt for having had them. It was intriguing. At one point, my curiosity about acupuncture led me to reading about it, and then, well, reading more about it. And the question of, how does this work, has stuck with me through school, travel, and practice. You're about to enjoy episode 300 of Geological because I'm still powered by the question, how does acupuncture work? I suspect the best inquiries, the most potent questions, lead to more interesting questions. Sure, there are answers found along the way, but answers have a period after them. Questions, well, worthwhile questions, you can make a living from those. When I started the podcast, I always had four to six questions that I wanted to ask a guest, and I still like to have a few questions as a leaping off point. Sometimes they get asked. Often enough, they don't, because a conversation based on inquiry tends to generate its own momentum. When learning East Asian medicine, we are taught to ask the 10 basic questions, which I can't even remember anymore. It's not that I don't think they're important. I think the idea is to develop a habit of curiosity in our clinical work, to develop an ear for where our patients are certain and if that certainty is helpful for them or not, to get a feeling not only what a patient's problem is, but the role that it plays in their life, how it might be helpful to them, where are they not paying attention, what experiences have been only half digested or perhaps pushed off into a corner of consciousness that keeps troubles out of the light of awareness. Medicine is a strange business, and I thought by this stage of the game, I'd understand a lot more. I suspect that is in large part what draws me to having these conversations, because as much as I love reading, there is something about dialogue that is deeply enlivening, something about 
conversation that makes it easier to grasp other ways of thinking. There is something in the back and forth of inquiry. It seems to have a notable effect on perception. And I'm still left with the question that started me off on this career. How does acupuncture work? Yeah, the same question that your new patients ask you, and they're hoping that you'll have a clear, simple, succinct answer. Whatever constant question you have for yourself about this curious medicine we practice, I hope that it is as troublesome, enlivening, and persistent as the one that caught my attention. Because a really good question is like a North Star, and we all need something reliable to steer by. Learning medicine is an iterative process. Not at all a simple matter of learning material and applying knowledge. Just like throwing meat and vegetables into a pot of water, even the most quality raw ingredients, they're useless without being simmered and stewed. In this conversation with Dr. Shochun Ma and Dan Bensky, we discuss their process and what they've learned in puzzling over the Shanghan Lun together for over 25 years. How learning from the classics absolutely requires our experience and attention, and that unlike our modern world that values Google-like instant understanding, the practice of medicine requires that attentive, slow simmer of repetition and consideration. That's the only way to get a three-dimensional understanding of how things work. We'll get into all that in a moment, but first, a word from the folks that make it possible for you to enjoy Geological. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. 
Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hey, friends, welcome to this episode's Shop Talk. Today, Toby Daly is here with me. We're going to be talking about something that I think you're probably going to enjoy. It's a, it's a book of all things, and it's a book on something that we love, Chinese medicine, and it's a book about Chinese medicine in plain English. All y'all that know anything about me, I first started podcasting because I wanted to speak to people about the medicine that we practice in plain English. Toby's got a book. We're going to get into this. Toby, what inspired you to do this in the first place? Hey, Michael. Uh, Thanks a lot for having me on uh, Shop Talk. About 18 months ago, I was on a 10-day meditation retreat, and I was a volunteer there. And at the beginning, everyone's uh, introducing themselves, what they do. And this seems to happen, right? There'll be like a group of certain people that that do certain things. So this group was, uh, was a real biotech heavy group. One woman was there. She was, she was able to synthesize like protein molecules uh, digitally and then test them against drugs. Uh, and it was just sequ- sequencing those all day long. Her husband uh, was on the, I guess there's three super, super computers in the world. 
maybe quantum or something, I forget, but uh, there's only three in the world. Her husband was working, was the uh, lead researcher for that. Anyways, a whole bunch of biotech people. So this one biotech guy said to me at the very beginning, you know, he said he does biotech. I forget exactly what it was, but he says to me, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, you know, I practice Chinese medicine. And immediately his arms cross in front of his body and he kind of pulls back a little bit and gives a little, hmm. And uh, I've seen this 1,000 times, Michael. So then slowly over the, that 10 days, right, um, there, there's a lot of uh, talk going back and forth. And at the end of those 10 days, this biotech guy said to me at the end, he says, oh, you know what? If I ever have anything going on with my health, I'm going to really try out Chinese medicine. You know, so it, thanks a lot for talking to me about that. So something in, at that moment clicked in my head and I thought, I better write this down because I've had that exact conversation hundreds, maybe thousands of times, right? Uh, I know Chinese medicine is not part of our culture here in the West and people just have like a standoffish attitude about it. So th- this, this book is basically that conversation I had uh, for those 10 days uh, with that biotech guy. Uh, just giving him some context about Chinese medicine, not really to sell Chinese medicine, just to really inform him about what it's, what it's about, what Chinese medicine really is about, and, uh, and then have people make their own decision. So context about Chinese medicine, I, I get that. I often have people come to my clinic. They've already got their own story about Chinese medicine. It's probably a story they talk themselves into so they could screw up the courage to come into an acupuncture clinic. The story often goes, well, it's been around for 2,000 years. It must be okay. Well, okay, that's one story, but I don't know if that's a very helpful story when you come right down to it. So I'm, I'm wondering, and this would be something that people would be able to, you know, maybe people like me, like take and use in my clinic. Are there some like screens or lenses that you would use to talk about our medicine in a way that would allow us to tell its story, but make it coherent in everyday language for our patients? Yeah, I think different uh, patients need different stories, right? So I I think, you know, there's the three main avenues I I try and explain things to uh, patients. And uh, depending upon their background and my sense about them, I may, it's unusual, I may emphasize only one of those avenues, but usually it's a combination of the three avenues. And then kind of hone that what I see what's resonating with them when I talk about it. So, uh, you know, I talk to patients about my clinical experience. Now it's going on a little over 20 years clinical experience. So I talk about, oh, I've had a patient with this and uh, this happened and things like that. So I I really, that's one avenue to talk about, a real practical way of talking to them. I say, I've had patients with similar symptoms to yours and they've been able to resolve or something like that. And then other patients really need like a historical context. Like you're saying, those people that come in, they're like, well, it's 2000 years uh, they've been doing this. It must be something to this, right? So then I try and fill in uh, those people that are already kind of oriented to the historical part. Like, oh, this this formula I'm making for you right now, this is from an 1800-year-old text that this exact formula, you know, people have taken for, you know, millions of times this exact formula, and uh, I'm giving that to you now. That that really gives, you know, that gives people a little bit of context for what they're engaging in. And then the third one uh, is there's a lot of patients coming in now that really like to hear, oh, what's the latest research, right? What's, you know, what, how does acupuncture, what, what's the mechanistic way that acupuncture works from a scientific perspective? So between those three avenues, my clinical experience, historical perspectives, and, uh, you know, the latest scientific research. Different patients need to hear a different combination of those three things, I think. That's cool. And it's helpful. The reason that I say it's helpful, I mean, especially when I'm, I'm trying to do something new in clinic, 
or especially when I'm, I'm thinking about communicating with people, it's really useful to have a couple of screens, a couple of ideas that I can work through. Because otherwise it gets too complicated and there's too much to try to try to remember. So working through history, science, or your own clinical experience. You know, you know, I think so often about how things get sold just in the advertising world. People try to sell it with research. Well, the latest research shows, blah, 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 blah. Or they'll tell you a story. There's your history. Or some kind of testimonial, right? Testimonials are super powerful ways of engaging people. So I'm, I'm not talking that we should use these in some kind of smarmy marketing way. But I like the idea of being able to use these three sort of lenses to be able to communicate with. It, it seems somehow comprehensive. You could tell a lot of different stories in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And then... Uh... I yeah I feel like I don't know how to sell Chinese medicine right I'm so I'm 100% confident that Chinese medicine can help whatever patients in front of me can I do it right that, that's a little bit of a, a different thing but I'm I'm confident Chinese medicine can help with so many different things so yeah it's nice to just give that patient that context and then they they feel a little bit more comfortable with it uh, yeah, I have a lot of people that come in, uh, not like what you were saying, right, where they they think, oh, a few thousand years ago, uh, th this must be something to it. But they come in because their brother or their best friend or their wife or something had, had got some experience with Chinese medicine, was really positive. And they start out just like that biotech guy with the arms crossed right in front of them. And uh, I just had this again recently, right? Uh, oh, you know, why are you here? What do you? Oh, my wife sent me. <laughs> So they really, they really need a lot of context, right? They're coming in with like zero con. Just the wife said, honey, you got to go. You can't lift that shoulder anymore. You, you've got to go over there. Well, too, it seems helpful, especially when working with new people. We're always, at least myself, I'm always looking for how do I connect with this unique person? Do I need to be kind of kind and gentle to them? Is that mm -hmm. what they need? Do they need someone who might actually be a little bit harsh and in their face? Do they need a certain kind of context? So history, science, and experience. Sounds like something useful to try. Okay, so Toby Daly, let me ask you this. You know, we have our own way of talking about our medicine that uses English words, but it's like English words that don't usually go together in the same sentences, let alone next to each other which is very useful for us, but very confusing for patients. And I don't think it's so helpful to try to give people a Chinese Medicine 101 lesson when they're trying just to get healthy and get their well-being back. So I'd love to get your take about how you communicate with people. Maybe some very complex ideas because they asked you, like, well, hey, doc, what do you see with me? How do you talk to them in a way that expresses what you're seeing with our medicine, but in a language that they can understand? Yeah. First of all, I never talk to them about the six confirmations or the five phases or chi. I, I feel like that's really off the mark. I, I just try and I, I use a yin-yang framework, but I never label it yin-yang framework. Everyone can understand this. Your body's too hot. Your body's too cold. Your body's too wet. Your body's too dry. Too much ascending in your body, 
too much descending in your body. You have a problem inside your body, you have a problem on the outside of your body. So I always use the yin yang framework for my diagnosis, and then everyone can everyone can can relate to that 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 concept of like, oh yeah, your body is a little bit too swampy inside. Patients already feel that, and just using that term is really good. Other than by saying like. Uh, You've got tie-in dampness. That's, that's helpful for us as clinicians, right? But that's not helpful for the patient. But, but every patient can understand wet and dry. Uh, 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 wet on the inside of your body or wet on the outside of your body. Heat on the inside, heat above, cold below. All, you know, all these things that the patient's actually experiencing. I note that and then tell them that that's, that's what we're doing with Chinese medicine. We're correcting that. You've got heat above and cold below. So we're going we're gonna to use our modalities to correct that. So you're basically describing them back to themselves in a very simple language. I mean, almost so simple, it'd be like you're just holding up a mirror and reading the mirror, but you're just doing that. And, and I love that idea. You use the yin-yang framework without ever even saying yin-yang, even though yin-yang is fairly commonly used in our language these days. Most people would imagine that they think they understand what that is. You just give it a pass. You point at what the expression of yin yang is without putting the label on it. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's exactly what I do. Again, different patients will be a little bit different. That's in general. That, that's that's where I start. I start with a yin yang framework, but not labeling anything yin or yang. Uh, every, everyone can kind of start there, and then sometimes I just stay there with patients. Even if I have to, you know, long term chronic patient, I sometimes just stay there with with the, that really simple language. But then, you know, some pa- patients, as we get going further and further, then you know, more complex things can come along. But yeah, th- those aren't necessary. And also, it's nice I don't have to do something extra. I'm already thinking about those those yin yang uh, characteristics. I'm already thinking about those for my diagnosis, for my treatment, things like that. So it's it's like sharing with the patient. It's not like extra. It's just sharing what I'm already seeing and just verbalizing what I'm already seeing. Um, so that's helpful. And a lot of times too, uh, th- this this can elicit something important in the clinic itself. I'll say, oh, you know, this seems a little bit swampy. Uh, you know, inside your body or something like that, or wow, wow, the, your skin's so dry, and that will elicit something about, oh, you know, it wasn't always dry. Nine months ago, when X happened, that's when that came. And then again, that's that's really helpful. We're, we're speaking a language that the patient can understand, so they're engaging back with us, and then they they'll share things that are sometimes you know clinically cornerstone ideas for our diagnosis. Sometimes patients will just spontaneously say that once we've. Again, like, like you're saying, uh, we've mirrored back to the patient what we're seeing in really simple language. So this book that you've written, it is, who's it for? Is it for us practitioners or is this something you would hand to your patients so that you don't have to repeat yourself? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's really written for patients. So uh, I think new practitioners they might like this because uh, like those um, those three avenues we were talking about before. That, that that's the same framework I use in my when I'm talking to patients. It's the same framework I use for this uh, uh, writing the book. Was those three things? And so they might pick up some language that they could use or the latest research about whatever modality they're performing. They may be able to use that, but really it's for patients, right? How I imagine this is patients come in and they have so many questions. You'll answer, of course, a few of them. But if you want to really give them a foundational context of Chinese medicine, what they're actually engaging with, then uh, you could have this book in your office, in your waiting room, or you can uh, tell them to get an ebook or something like that. This Eventually, this would be on audiobook too. Uh, I know a lot of people like that now. So if you have a patient that really would like some more context for what they're doing, that's, that's what this book is for. All right. Where do they get it? 
<laughs> where you can get everything in this world, uh, Michael, Amazon. All right. Big River of Books. Toby Daly, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Ma and Dan Bensky, thank you so much for joining me here on Geological today for a talk on the Shanghan Lun. Thanks for having us. So we're going to do this partly in Chinese, partly in English, because it's just a little bit easier for all three of us to get the material out that way. And uh, Dr. Ma and Dan have a book. By the time you all listen to this, it should be out. It's on none other than the Shanghan Lun. And you guys have been working on it for, would it be fair to say, a couple of decades? More. More. A little bit more. Dan, can you, can you give us a little background? I mean, this is a big project, right? Shanghan Lun, first of all, not a small thing. This has been a long project. Most books don't take that long. Well, this book was done on a kind of off-again, on-again manner. And uh, Dr. Ma will correct me if I get anything wrong. But basically, uh, you know, Dr. Ma has been very, very interested from the Shanghai Lin since the 60s. Uh, you know, he uh, worked with a guy named Shu Jiming, one of the very famous uh, and accomplished the doctor in Chongqing in the late 60s. And uh, he and his fellow students of uh, this doctor worked together during the by themselves in the 70s and 80s and then uh, you know he has a master's uh, in the Shanghan Lun from the Chengdu TCM college in the early 80s so he's been interested in the Shanghan Lun for a long long time and uh, actually my training in Chinese medicine Macau had a very cursory uh, introduction to the Shanghan Lun and it wasn't that important uh, part of my background. And uh, I had opportunity to know him in the mid-80s. And in the, uh, at around the same time, I was working on the, uh, translating and editing the formula book and, um, with Andy Gamble and uh, uh, later with you know, Volker Scheid, but that was not much later. And I noticed that, um, first of all, I noticed from working with Dr. Ma, how useful the Shanghan Lun was, and the, the, not only the formulas, but the approaches. And then I also noticed during the formula book that a huge percentage of the formulas in it were um, either from the Shanghan Lun or Jingwei directly, or modifications of those formulas. And so uh, in the mid-90s, uh, Dr. Ma, who has his uh, very clear take, both his own and from his different teachers he's had on the Shanghai Lun, this thought that we should do something. Uh, we had a few detours. One, we took a few years to go to take a um, PhD in the Shanghai Lun from the uh, China Academy of Traditional Chinese Medicine in Beijing. And maybe not for a Dr. Ma, but for me, that was exhausting. And so uh, I needed a couple year break from the project after that. And so then we just kept kind of working on it on and off until until today. So that's how why it took so long. I think in some ways it wasn't a bad thing 
uh, maybe again, for, certainly for myself, maybe a little bit for Dr. Ma. You know, we working on something for this length of time. You, uh, you know, it's, it's like the one of the ways that I think Chinese medicine is particularly interesting is that normally, and, and Dr. Ma and I were just talking about this the other day, is that you know, way you get better at it is not so much learning new things, which is part of it, but more going over and over the same old things, particularly the classics. And every time you spiral over them, you get a more depth to it. And so we, we spiral over the Shanghan Lun uh, quite a few times. And uh, I think we had uh, so maybe some more interesting things to say and certainly learned a lot in the process. And then also, I'm just slow. That's the other reason it took so long. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do Channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, some things certainly take time, that's for sure. One of the things, I mean, I've read the beginning of your book, and you talk about this process of going over the material again and again and again. And actually, in, in reading the book, if you're even just beginning the study of it, like read the formula, and then read about what it does, and then go back and read the formula again. There's a way of iteratively putting this into your system. And this goes so completely counter to our modern day where there's something new and you got to get the next thing and the old stuff, well, you pitch that out because the new stuff is where it's at. This is going in the opposite direction that you're talking about. And I think that's a little tricky for us modern people to put our heads around. And, and yet anyone who has practiced for any length of time will know that we come back again and again to some very basic things. And, and then we look at them and go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that in that before. And, but yet there it is. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and the, again, ma我们已经讲过这个事情了,听你讲。that's what Dr. Ma has this a really, really interesting idea that it's this is particularly true of things that we would call classics in Chinese medicine. And to, by the classics, he means the works of Zhang Zhongjing and the, and the Neijing. 
that these particularly, uh, again, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, these particularly reward uh, going over them. As you were just saying, Michael, there's a lot of information, a lot of layers to it. And one of the ways that Dr. Ma and people ask him, you know, why, why should you study this, this old book? And he said, you know, all these books, but all of the classics, again, particularly the Zhang Zhongjin classics, they have a, a Dao, they have a way in them. And the way is about things that don't change. The, the way of being affected by things from the outside was true in Zhang Zhongjing's time. We've seen that it's true <laughs> right today with the different infectious and you know, diseases that we have that respond to these kinds of formulas. And that'll be true in another 2,000 years. But the actual details of how you work with it and how you, uh, how you approach it, how you make up the herbs, or, what, or even maybe what herbs you use. That's what he what's called the shu, the art, the, not the art, the mechanics maybe would be the better translation, that the dao stays the same, but the shu can change. And um, we can adapt things, we can have our own ideas, we can do different kinds of things. And again, Dr. Ma gave the example in, in our talk about the Neijing, that uh, it's about the Tao of how the channels work and how the body works. That hasn't changed, but probably in, uh, you know, Neijing times, they were using either bones or, you know, pieces of sharp stones, and and now we use stainless steel needles. The the, the shoe has changed, and, and maybe even the way we do things and uh, approach, the, I'm sure that uh, most modern patients, no matter where they were, wouldn't appreciate Han Dynasty treatments, but that's just the that's just the shoe. That's the mechanics, the the details. But the Tao of how you approach the body, uh, that that doesn't change. And I think uh, that's and that again, I'm speaking for Dr. Ma, uh, that this is this is particularly true, and this is one of the reasons why anybody who does any kind of you know Chinese East Asian medicine. They need to read these classics because the background, the Tao, the, uh, that doesn't change. And uh, that's why you go over it over and over again. And you, know, you can do electroacupuncture, you can use you know, granules, you can do whatever you want. That's the shoe. That, but the core of the medicine is in these books. Yeah, it's good. We have this uh, book because I have the Dr. Dambinsky. So then I get this book because we're together discussing more than 20 years. But if uh, everyone, every time Dr. Dambinsky say, oh, we need to together to discussion, to work combined <laughs> now. <laughs> so, and the most of the work Dr. Dambinsky did. So I think uh, this is a book is writer is Dr. Dambeski. Uh, that's true, that's true. So I think uh, I understand that the Sang Han I think it's uh, their traditional Chinese uh, think about, think of the way or canonic, both from the Sang Han that's the first book. And the, the book is not just for the right now, before, even for in the future. Yeah, Dr. Damsky just talk about the Tao and the Su. 
So I agree with that. So I'm thinking about what you guys are talking about with the Tao, the way, the the fundamental thing that doesn't really change. Could could I say that? Does that sound reasonable? I think the fundamental principles don't really change. Fundamental principle doesn't change. And yet the shoe, the mechanism, the way we implement that, well, that's very mutable. Absolutely. Very changeable. Like you were saying, stone needles at one point, these really nice single-use disposable stainless steel in our moment. And... And listening to you guys talk about how we have to go over the material again and again, partly because we need to bring our experience to it to be able to see what it has in it. And, and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the Neijing, and that's a discussion between Huang Di and Chi Bo. And I'm thinking about you guys working on this book. It's called the discussion, you know, of cold damage, right? The book is a discussion. You guys have been discussing it for over 25 years. Any practitioner who comes to this is discussing it with their experience. And their patience. And their pa- Ex- Well, that's why we're all here, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think one of the things that Dr. Ma is very clear on, and I, I agree with him, or, uh, okay, now, is that you know, this book is not a treatise. It is like a, be- a bedside discussion between a, a teacher or a practitioner and his students. Do this. When you see this, do that. When you see that, do this. It's not a kind of, you know, someone didn't sit down and drink tea or whatever and write this thing. This is a clinical encounters that are kind of recorded a long time ago and uh, have been the basis of clinical encounters by tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, you know, in a, over the last, whatever, 1,800 years. So the, it is a discussion. It is a way of communicating, thinking about uh, how to deal with people in the clinic. And that's kind of, I think we called it with commentaries for the clinic, because uh, to us, you know, like everything is, nothing's 100%. But for us, this is a very clinically relevant book. And again, I think maybe getting back to what, I was translating for Dr. Ma before. Uh, it, going over it, you get the the Tao of even something with you know what's the Tao of of Zhongfeng or Tao of you know wind wind strike in the Shanghan Lun, uh, and uh, if you read it over and over again, again combined like you were saying, Michael, with your experience with your patients, and each one illuminates the other. Uh, over time, you, you get somewhere. It takes time. It takes some patience. It takes time. Yeah. This, this, I suspect, is, uh, well, I know for me, I think about going to Chinese medicine school. I had no idea the amount of time that would be required for, um, <laughs> you laugh. You know, I mean, you know and, and I'm kind of grateful, too, in a way, because had I known at the beginning what it was going to take, I probably wouldn't have had the fortitude or the courage to step onto the step onto the path and see where it took me. So I you know I would say the juice has been worth the squeeze. But it 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 takes a lot longer and you know there's that phrase and we have this in English that the more you know the less you understand or the more you understand the less you know something like that. And it's really really true. It sounds good as a phrase 
the problem is, is it feels like failure in the moment. Like, oh God, this again, I still don't get it. Um, but in a way, that's, that's not the bad news, that's the good news. It's like, I've got an opportunity to learn something new here. Exactly. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, again, this is when you use a book like this or contents of a book like this, it's not really, a, it's about you trying to use it to help someone. And uh, if you use it, the first, when you get out of school and you study a little Shang Han Lun and you use Gui Zhitong on someone, and if like five years later you're using the formula the same way, uh, something is seriously wrong uh, with your practice. It should be, again, you know, just think about when you see patients over and over, you're seeing people over and over again, you have to get more understanding of what's going on. And, and the, if you look at the Chinese, the textual tradition medicine, and you look at the text, and you look at your patients, and you look at yourself, that's how you get experience. But if you don't have some kind of, and I think this is one of the issues with uh, Chinese medicine everywhere, that this Tao that Dr. Ma was talking about is not really congruent with biomedicine. And so you have to think differently. And I think in our day and age, you have to be able to think both ways. You can't just pretend you live in, in the Han Dynasty uh, because none of your patients live in the Han Dynasty. And uh, the, if they have to go to the ER, they, you know, they, they're, not change, they're not wearing robes in the ER and things like that. So we have to be able to think multiple ways. I think that's the big uh, that's the main attraction and also maybe the main issue with doing uh, you know, East Asian medicine at the present time. You have to think multiple ways. And if you get locked into one way, it just doesn't work very well. And I think, personally, if you look in the Shang Han Lun, even though we talk about a Tao, it's not a single Tao. There's multiple ways of looking at things in the Shang Han Lun, much less, you know, the... Uh, the companion text in you know, modern you know, last thousand years, the Jingwei. So it's not an ideology, it's a Tao. And that's not the same thing at all. We like to use that phrase, the Tao, right? When we think about the Tao de Jing and the Tao of this, the Tao of that, it's, it, it's important to us. I think, in, I know for myself, this is something I've, I've had to kind of beat it out of me in a way, this idea of, look, this medicine's been around for a really, really long time. And, and because it's been around and because it's ancient, well, there must be something really important here. And I think that's true. There is. But there's like a funny mental habit that I've had. And, and my patients don't help because they come in and they say things like, well, this acupuncture must be good because it's been around for, you know, thousands of years. Leaning on history like that, I have found to not be helpful. Just because something's been around and it's been helpful to others through those years doesn't mean that I necessarily know how to make it helpful in this moment. And, and it's easy to kind of like ride on the coattails of people who have come before and imagine that we can even think and be like they are, but... I found that doesn't work so well. Like you're saying, we live in this modern moment. We have to understand this Han medicine side by side with biomedicine. There's no other generation 
or generations, you know, let's say the past hundred years of human beings on the planet that have had to deal with that situation. Well, I mean, biomedicine is different now than a hundred years ago also. So all these things are moving targets. Yes, there, there's that. So I'd like to get your thoughts more on approaching this Tao of medicine. And how do I say this? Like engaging it without ideology and engaging it without, I'm going to use the word fantasy. Thank you. I can think about uh, right now the people learn the traditional Chinese, Chinese medicine. I think mostly they have the two ways for right now. One way, Zhuanbin Zhuanfang, or we say, how yeah, they use a certain formula for a certain disease. Yeah, that is one way. So, for example, we say Ma Huang Tang for we Taiyang Sanghan. That is Taiyang Sanghan, we just use Ma Huang Tang. And the other problems I have, they just find one formula for some disease. Recently, people is like to that because uh, will be save the time and uh, easy to use it. Yeah, for example, if they have the pneumonia, we say the formula, machine scantang. So one formula on the one disease. So this is one way. Mostly, right, I think right now, mostly people like that way because it's clear and easy to understand, to use. Other way is take some more time to understand the Sanghandun. Sometimes maybe practice and learn need to spend three, five years, then can more deeply to understand the Sanghandun. First, uh, first uh, the way, because people sometimes, if we don't know this formula for this disease, we cannot do it. For example, if the painter come talk about gastroparesis, Pathosis. Mm, gastroparesis, yes. Yeah, gastroparesis. And also I have the reflux. I have a pioneer. So they give you more the information combined. And they say, oh, always feels for this burping every day after eat, years. So like these problems, if we, we cannot say one formula for the reflux, one for pylor, or other one for the stomach. We cannot do that for traditional Chinese medicine. We need to know, oh, this is xin xia pi, and the heart and the cold combined. Yeah, upper gastric focal distension. Yeah, they have the heart, cold combined. So, well, oh, this is ban xia xie xin tang. So this way must be from the traditional Chinese medicine. We cannot think about it from the right now the western the the diagnosis so there are some different way one is the way is easier one but not enough other way 
takes a long time. It's hard for the everyone. <laughs> so I think both of these two ways is important because we need to uh, complement each other with the doctor and the traditional Chinese medicine. But it's a different theory. It's harder to combine. I, I think we all really love it when a patient comes in and they've got something and we look at it and go, I know what to do with that. Like, like your example, Dr. Ma, someone comes in with pneumonia, mashing shirgantang, like, great, we're good, done. And then there's other people, they've got gastroparesis, they've got reflux, there's some problem with their pylorus, there's, you know, they've got all this digestive stuff. You could look at it as three different things, but that doesn't work. What works is, what is this pattern? How does this thing hold itself together? What's going on here? Not so much with Western biophysiology, although we can't forget it, but we have to look at it in terms of hot, cold, up, down, very basic, traditional ways of looking at the human being and traditional ways of looking at human physiology. And when we look through that lens... It's like, oh, bansha shishintang, right? You got, you got this nodding of cold and heat. It's in the epigastrium. And there you go. Fantastic formula. And really, this illustrates that we, we can think kind of biomedically and sometimes get results. But if we can think more in terms of, of, of the, the, the Tao, as you've been talking about it, how things are and how they unfold, it gives us a whole different perspective. Do I, do I have that right? I mean, I, I don't know, but we, I, we agree with you. Uh, so I think you know, maybe another way of putting it, and I, maybe I use a slightly different metaphor than Dr. Ma, but I think there is a uh, momentum in this kind of you know, combining the TCM or East Asian medicine and uh, Western medicine one of the things that happens is the complexities and three-dimensionalities of the traditional medicine gets flattened. And you end up having a kind of uh, Xerox copy of this living thing. And it's not as useful. And you don't, again, so that's, that's the kind of thought where you just, oh, here's a piece of information, I keep adding it. But we want a three-dimensional, almost like a 3D printer version of knowledge where you go over and over and over again, and you end up with a three-dimensional, maybe a terrible analogy. But anyway, um, I think this way of thinking, oh, you know, uh, pneumonia, mashing, shirgantang, that's an incredible flattening of not only of the medicine, but of the, again, we keep getting back to the same thing, of the patients, and you know, um, you know, maybe in terms of Shanghai Lun type stuff, when COVID first started, there was a big rush to say, "Oh, COVID equals this one thing in Chinese medicine." So this is like, uh, you know, on a certain level, it was a possibility. You know, certain kinds of epidemics are one thing that could happen, but it was there was a rush to do that before anybody had any idea, any enough experience to see is that true or not. And I think in COVID, it turned out to not be true. There's different kinds of people develop with COVID. There may be some, there may have been at certain stages of the epidemic, certain commonalities 
uh, you know, we all have our different ideas of what they were, but there definitely wasn't like, oh, you have COVID, you take this formula. That just was, I think, clinically ridiculous. It just didn't work. And there was this way of trying to flatten things. And again, I think, you know, one of the reasons that we spent so much time on this project uh, and again, other people have done other books and other people have done this book quite well, actually. But we wanted to do our contribution to uh, resist this flattening. If you look at the Shang Han Lun through you know, Dr. Ma's eyes, as we've done in this book, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a flat, like, it's not a straight algorithm. You know, like, oh, boom, 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 boom. There's all these different nuances. There's all these different things you have to take into attention. It's at least three-dimensional. Sometimes I think Dr. Ma works on higher, more than three dimensions when he does the medicine. But it's um, against this, you know, it shows that, oh, don't flatten it. You should appreciate it for what it is. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And that metaphor really lands for me. Because when I think about taking and making a Xerox copy of something especially if it has dimension in it. Not only do you get the flattening that you talked about, but then when you Xerox a Xerox, now you're beginning to even lose more information. It's not just a flattening. It, I mean, you lose the resolution. Exactly. You fail to see the dimensionality. That makes a huge amount of sense. I can remember being so frustrated in Chinese medicine school when we were studying herbs because I was looking for that this formula to treat this thing. And then you get into this nuance of, well, okay, so you've got this pathogen and it hits a person like this. Maybe they're chi deficient and they've got some dampness. That person's going to respond differently to that pathogen than someone who is yin deficient and hot. So we, we have to consider these contexts. There's pathogen, there's person. I mean, this to me is one of the beauties of Chinese herbal medicine in particular and East Asian medical thought in general, that everything only makes sense in relation to something else. You can't stand outside of it. You can only understand it from within. And the beauty is it's always different. The trouble is it's always different. It's a very... I was going to say troublesome, but troublesome isn't quite the right word. Uh, it's impossible to not be engaged as, as you do this. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, Dr. Ma, we mentioned lots of times in the Shang Han Lun, the different formulas are for people with different constitutions. And, uh, you know, they're not necessarily different pathogens and certainly not in the biomedical sense and maybe not even in a traditional East Asian sense. But it's a the certain thing hits a certain person at a certain time in a certain environment, then the, the the disease manifests in a certain way, and more importantly, needs to be treated in a certain way. And I think again, this time about the flattening. One of the things that we did in this book, which I think for some readers is going to be problematic, is that the you know, Dr. Ma and to a lesser degree myself, we. We selected commentaries, uh, so parts of commentaries for the different, uh, we call them paragraphs, other people call them lines. And we decided, in general, we just translate these selections of the commentaries. We didn't digest them. We didn't, 
you know, oh, this guy, sometimes, but we, we let this, they're, they're all guys, I'm afraid, as far as I know. Um, we let them say their thing. Sometimes the way they say it is hard for us people to understand. And sometimes they say things that are maybe we disagree with. But instead of saying like a digest, oh, this guy said this, this guy said this, it's like, okay, this guy said this, and then you have a paragraph or two of what they say. And if you would just read through this book, you're going to go, oh, that I don't understand that. That's a waste of time. But if you go back to what they say and you go back to the Yuanwen, the, the text of the Shanghamun itself, and then to Dr. Ma's discussion, and then to your patients, again, this gives you, over time, this, as Dr. Ma was saying, takes time. This gives you a more three-dimensional approach to trying to get your own understanding of that, what that particular paragraph means. So if you just want to go home for the weekend and read the Shanghan Lun, uh, you know, that's not the way you would use our book. But if you want to get into this depth, uh, again, you have to be, as you were talking about earlier, Michael, you have to be okay like, huh? <laughs> What's that about? Um, because again, if you read something like this and you know, if every, it was super clear and everybody understood it like a, like an ideological text, they, they wouldn't have these hundreds of people commenting over it over the last thousand years. And that's, again, to me, that's a feature. That's not a bug. It means that you can use it and understand it in different ways. And maybe even my, I myself will use these ideas in the different ways in different patients. It's not, it's not the, it's not, again, it's not this kind of Ten Commandments or anything like that. It's not a revelation. It's a way that people have been using to try and figure stuff out. And so, again, I think uh, the way Dr. Ma uh, and I designed it is, you know, if you want to take the time to read these things and be okay with, like, first few times through, it'll be like, what? Um, then you get another level of, again, not another level of consciousness raising, but another level of clinical utility out of understanding, uh, out, of, out of the text. Well, it might change your consciousness a bit. <laughs> it might. You might be, have, you might, it might drive you to imbibe some liquids that change your consciousness in a different way. That's also possible. <laughs> Well, I appreciate your, your comment here about it's not the Ten Commandments, because so often, and look, we want to get it right in clinic, of course we do, but it, it seems in our profession there is a, uh, a habit of, oh man, I have to get this right, because you know, these other idiot doctors that they saw before me, you know, they got it wrong, and it's like up to me to fix it, and I have to get it right. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do our best for our patients, of course we should, but man, trying to get it right is, I mean, that's a Herculean, impossible task in some ways, especially when getting it right means you might have to completely change your thinking to see what something is. Dr. Ma brought up the, you know, the great example of gastroparesis with reflux and other things. If you're looking at, at something and you think it's three different things, but it's actually one thing. You really do have to change your thinking. And I don't know any of us that are particularly happy to have to change our thinking. I wonder if you have any, uh, any advice about that besides like reading the book and being okay with, huh? Because 
It's not a bug. That's actually a feature. Yeah, I, because we are discussing each other, I learned lots of from the doctor Dambensky because he is serious, everything. For example, we say we get the case being on. Yeah, case histories. Sometimes we, we ask the, some uh, specialist from Chinese give me the good, the, the being on. But uh, mostly the doctor Dambensky no, don't use this one. Because if the one formula and three more herbs, not really this formula. So we need to you use if you say Gui Zi Tang, I say focus on with the Gui Zi Tang. If and the other more three, four herbs, that is not Gui Zi Tang. So this case is Dr. Damask always don't use it. So very serious uh, with that. And something even deep area who he still found it. For example, he said that the Tiao Wei Chen Chi Tang, oh, they show twice from the Sun Handun. I said, why? Just once, not twice. I check all the boxes, just one. Then I check the Song Dynasty, this Song Ben Sun Handun. Yes, they're show twice. And some different, he found some different just one area different to Tiao Wei Chen One is the Da Huang with skin, other without. Then Dr. Dambesk asked why. Same formula, why is with Da Huang with skin, other without. We need to think about, look other area combined to talk about all we know. Because with skin, Da Huang, the protein is stronger without is lighter. So like this area, we still, Dr. Dambeck still found only, in general speaking, book don't pay attention with that. And he found it, he wanted we talk about each other. Why? Get the result. And also, with the lying world, because we just need to deeply understand this line. Then we talk about easily, to people to understand. Because before we look at all the different opinions, then for we are discussing, we have the word different opinion. So this is still sometimes important. For example, like the Taiyang bean, they have the one symptoms like the nausea. But most of the books say nausea because the cold damages the stomach. But we are thinking about, they have a the different way. One is uh, if damage the stomach, why use Ma Huang Tang, use Gui Zi Tang, don't use herbs for the stomach. They don't use herbs for stomach. And with the other line say, if purging, if Gui Zi Tang patient, if you use purging, if the qi still up, then you can use Gui Zi Tang again. So we say, oh, we got, because the nausea just show the mechanism is still, the inside still want to go into the outside. So you still can use Gui Zitang because the pathogen still want to go outside. That means nausea, want to go outside. So we have a different, uh, 
discussions or get uh, different opinion. Also, we get other doctors' opinion there. Also, we have the how we are understanding so the lines. So that's uh, even some special area we still bank and uh, uh, for a few times. So Dr. Dambeski said one is good. He said, right now we are back, look at this book, someone from 20 years ago. Right now we look still fine. So that's more important because this 20 years were improvement from the kinetic or from the ready or discussion. But we look back some way we still need to change it. But mostly we are discussing Dr. Damis here. Oh, we are back look still fine. So that's I think is more important. Yeah, I think that also gets back to what you were talking about in terms of, again, one of the other maybe slightly unusual or different things in our book is what Dr. Ma was talking about was our the cases. We have a lot of cases in the book. I think like 125 or something like that. And they go back from the 11th century to uh, Dr. Ma's cases from a few years ago. And again, one of the things we did on purpose, though again, maybe, maybe, <laughs> is that we don't we identify who the, all of the where they we got them from etc. But in the case itself, we don't say oh you know in 1108 this person did this. It's, the cases are all the same because I think uh, while the shu changes the dao doesn't change in these cases, and it was uh, quite difficult to find cases for our uh, criteria which were, one thing was like, oh, if we're going to talk about what this formula does, we need to just use the formula. You know, if you have, I guess Dr. Ma said, you have Guajertang, which has like six ingredients, and the formula used has 15 ingredients, then... It's not Guajertang. It's not tongue. And the other thing <laughs> is we try to find cases that, that weren't like, oh, these are cool uses of these formulas. That's a different kind of book, and that's a really important book to have. But our book is like, here's how these cases reflect on the text of the Shanghan Lun, how people, how either the text, the case shows you something about the text, or it's a case where someone used the text. They use, oh, the, I understand the Shang, I understand this paragraph of the Shanghan Lun in this way. And that's why I use this formula on this person. Now, to be honest, in terms of the lack of modification, if we had uh, more real access, not access, but we felt more comfortable accessing Japanese and through the Greek Korean sources, we could have had a lot more cases because their traditions of the Shanghan Lun are more likely to use them, the formulas, with no or very slight changes. And certainly the last, at least the last few hundred years in China, that's not so much the case. Of course, there's a reaction against that now. The other thing is, as you were saying, Michael, uh, you know, it's really hard to find a case that uh, talks about uh, simple, someone with a simple wind strike, a simple Zhongfeng who gets better with Guajitang in one visit because no one would write that case. The cases traditionally were written to show off. To show off like, oh, those other idiots, they did this. But I understood, because I understood the Shanghan Lun, I did that and it, and it cured them. 
sometimes, very rarely, but my favorite cases are some other idiot, meaning me, in the past, I did this. <laughs> and then I, because I didn't understand things, and now I understand things better, I do that. So something that people will consider a commonplace case, no, why would, no one would write that down. The cases weren't done as a study. They were done as a kind of publicity or a, some promotion. And so that made uh, cases for th- formulas that work very well uh, but for things that people <laughs> use them for all the time, a little bit harder to find. Uh, but I think the cases also, I mean, I'm not sure how successful we were all the time, but again, using the cases to reflect back on the text and how you might use the, uh, the formula yourself, I think it really does add another dimension uh, to understanding. And again, the text is alive. It was alive in the Han Dynasty, it was alive in the Song Dynasty, it's alive now. Uh, and so hopefully the cases we use kind of both show the thinking process sometimes, which sometimes is multi-stepped. And it's like, oh, I understand this principle from this line, uh, this paragraph of the Shanghalun, and then I interpret that principle in this other way, and then I get to this formula. Or sometimes it's like, oh yeah, no, this person... This seemingly strange uh, presentation, oh, that's like this paragraph in the Shanghan Lun. So there's, there's no, uh, it's more of a recognition of a match, of a pattern, uh, than any kind of complicated thinking process. So both of those things happen uh, when you use the Shanghan Lun, uh, and of course the, the other, other books too. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I appreciate your thought about the very common use of a formula that you know, even at a fairly beginning level, you would get it, you would see it, you could use it, you could use it well and help people. That wouldn't get written down. Why would that get written down? It's boring. It doesn't look so good on your Instagram feed. Um, <laughs> on that is the Instagram, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, Volker Scheid did, you know, and you guys published this with Eastland Press, the the book on the uh, Monka yeah. doctors. And, and that's a, it's a fantastic book. 
that talks a lot about like the social capital people have and the kind of clicks and you know who who's in who's out who knows stuff who doesn't know stuff and and how they kind of show off to get patients not different than us well also i mean they did have even a i think a, a stronger particularly last few hundred years uh, this is uh, i'm dating myself but they used to have rich families would have what i call doctor slams instead of poetry slams so they would have their patient in their house and they would invite you know four or five different doctors from the area to come see the guy and the doctors would have to convince the, the person the family would choose which doctor they would use and so the doctor had to present themselves well and some of our cases are from these doctors, I don't think I used the term in the book, but from Dr. these doctor Slam. slams. Um, <laughs> because if, if you want to get, and again, having these high prestige patients was good for you in many, many different ways. But you couldn't, you know, because of the integration of Chinese medical ideas into the society, it wouldn't be like, oh, you know, they wouldn't look on whatever, Facebook, who's the number, or Yelp, who's the best doctor in uh, Hangzhou, they would invite them over. The doctors would have to convince the family, oh, uh, I'm the best person for your, your father or whoever your family member is. And you can see in some of the cases, they're saying, oh, yeah, all the masses, all the, you know, the, the groups of people, they said this. They thought this was something that needed cooling, but I can show them based on the Shanghan Lun that this person actually needed warming, and that's the it's a performance aspect. And they would write those down when they won the poetry, the, the doctor slam, and the, and things worked. So there's a performance aspect to cases, and that's just you know that's just the way it is. All right, so we need to keep this in mind as we're <laughs> reading through the commentaries of this book. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I have, I mentioned this to a degree in the introduction, maybe not in such a colloquial detail. And I think one thing I want to emphasize, to me, one of the very special things about this book is that we show things like, this is what this person said, this is what this person said. But Dr. Ma has an unbelievably unique background in studying and using this text. So he started as an apprentice, and then he, uh, at the, during the Cultural Revolution, and then when things opened up to, for academics afterwards, he had a background as a math teacher professionally, but he had worked with the Shi Jiming very long. So when the Chengdu TCM school opened up its master's program at the end of the 70s, Remember, at that time, uh, Sichuan had about 50 million people. That's the population of Sichuan. They had like one opening for someone who didn't have a bachelor's in Chinese medicine in their master's program in, in the, in the Shanghan Lun, and they selected Dr. Ma. And so he had that kind of academic uh, training with some amazing you know, practitioners and scholars of Chinese medicine in, in Chengdu, late 70s, early 80s. He worked in a very, very busy clinic that had an inpatient facility in Chongqing for a few years. And then he's been here for 35 years, approximately. Is that right, Malisha? Yeah. 
So he has apprentice training. He, he, he and his uh, family, his daughter, and some other people just put out a book of his own teacher's kind of private, uh, ancient, banban, ancient version of the Shanghan Lun. This case came out from a prestigious publishing company in Beijing uh, a few months ago. So he has that kind of connection to a real tradition with a real, you know, uh, lineage type thing, whatever that means, but the way he means something. He has the kind of modern Chinese academic. He's worked in very busy clinics, including inpatient things in China, and he's worked on Westerners for decades. So there's nobody like this that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually, nobody. And so, you know, part of besides having his insights into what the text means and his selection for by and large, what the commentaries are. He has his own, he adds his commentary, right? It's the living, it's tradition is living. So we not only study what the traditional people said, we, we put our own stuff in. And Dr. Ma's um, uh, insights uh, are really quite valuable. And uh, particularly, I would say, to me personally, he has figured some things out about the Dreyin that are really stunningly useful, as well as, I think, quite explanatory. And so it's one of these things where it's like part of a tradition, but at the same time, it has a big dose of seasoning from an individual's perspective who really knows his stuff. I think that's really uh, what makes this book, I think, worth, for me, that's what made the book worth doing, to share this kind of uh, background and understanding and almost on a certain level, uh, he's a kind of uh, exam- exemplar of what it means to... And again, I think one of the other things about Dr. Ma that's really important, he is not an ideologue. If you asked him, if, is he a Jing Fang practitioner, he would say no. He, he likes to use them. He uses them a lot. But it doesn't, uh, you know, if he has patients that they don't fit, then he uses something else. And I think... Also, maybe unusual among Shang Han Lun texts, lots of times they'll say, okay, this situation, and Zhang Zhongjing didn't give a formula, but I think this Wen Bing formula works really well for that situation. And so he's really uh, focused on the understanding the text and the clinical utility of the text and not, you know, bogged down in some kind of, I don't know, intramural or intranacine. Uh, thing about you know you don't use sang ye because that's not in the shanghan lun like that's a you know that to me it's a kind of uh, self-defeating uh, ideology and so he has this you know, very strong you know like a, his main teacher had his own version i mean like ancient his own ancient version of the text uh, they did a fabulous book in chinese on this and uh and then he's like hanging out in seattle so um that, that's really quite uh Lucky you. Yeah, lucky me, exactly. And, and again, hopefully I'm sharing the luck by helping him get this book uh, out in English. I'm certainly looking forward to reading it. Can you give us, you just mentioned the Yin, which is confusing to lots of people. Could, could you give us a quick example of, of uh, Dr. Ma's perspective on this? Malasha, Yeah, we are... First of all, we think about uh, with Dr. Dambeski, where with some service also is very open. 
for the cases, first time we will think about one formula for what kind of disease. For example, Martin's Gaidan come for the common pneumonia, come for the SARS, come for the COVID-19. No, don't do that. We need to give the empty area. So every writer, every practitioner, they can develop not just for this or the disease then. So we need to give them more empty area. They can develop, can think about it by themselves. Not just we are see what one you can follow me. Not, not, not necessary. And also during disease, we are discussing have some different way. Because always during being from the book talk about the from the upper body is hot, lower body is cold. Talk about the during being. But also during being is a cold disease. But the doctor Lu Yuan Lei asked, I understand like the tie-in is like the stomach spleen, the cold. Jiyin, like the yin, like the cold from the kidney. But I don't know why, where from the cold from the jiyin. So we'll talk about, think about it. Because jiyin, the cold, not from the passenger's cold, not from the body's cold, from a stagnation. If something stagnation, Yang and Yang Qi cannot move in, so that's cause cold. First time stagnation may have some heat. If stagnation for a while, then if stagnation is too strong, the Yang energy cannot circulation, so suddenly it's cold. So dream being is sometimes serious and suddenly because from the from the Binji mechanism. We understand that is more problems from the just one suddenly stop it, cannot open. So that's we think about that is mostly from the dream being. If we can find this way, maybe you can understand more with the dream being. So this one we talk and think for still for many times. Then we think about yes. This is Binji uh, from the Jian Bin. So this is uh, mostly different with uh, upper body hot, lower body cold. Or like the Duane say, where is the cold from the Jian? We, we talk about Jian because from the stagnation or obstruction. So like, uh, Lu Yanlei was a very, very influential doctor in the 20s, 1920s, so uh, in the Republican period. I mean, one that made my, my only comment on this is well, we, the indexer that we use for this book and some of our other books is herself a practitioner. And uh, she told us after indexing the book that she understood uh, Wu Zhu Yutang much, much better than she had understood it before and had had a chance to use it on a patient, a longtime patient that she had not been helping very much before. And after reading what Dr. Ma wrote about the uh, uh, Drain Bing, she go, oh, this person needs Wujiu Tang. And the formula was super effective for the, her own patient. So she had a side benefit of doing the indexing on Dr. Ma's commentary by helping one of her patients.
Yeah, so I think, you know, I mean, one of the everybody has their own take on stuff, but I think, I think, uh, you know, Dr. Ma's stuff is, and some of his cases, he has one thing that's un, unique about the book is, I don't know how many, 10, 20 of the cases are Dr. Ma's own cases. And they're really quite, they're not, they're illuminating. You know, I think, you know, astounding cases are not that useful for people because it's like, wow, I would never do that. But I think with Dr. Ma's cases, it's like, oh, that I would never have thought of that. But in the future, I will be able to think of that because uh, I've read you know, the text and, and his cases. So I think they're uh, quite, um, I found them very fun to work on, but also quite illuminating. So I think those are the main things that are maybe special about our particular uh, translation. You know, I, I can remember being in school or just going to classes and hearing a, a Dr. Slam type explanation and going, wow, that's just so cool, but useless to me. Like, how would I ever come up with that? And, and so something that is tangible, let's just say within my grasp of understanding, that, that's really helpful. And I love the story of the indexer who, because she's doing the process that we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, going over the text, going over the material, looking at it again, just parsing through it, through the job of doing indexing. It's like, oh, I see that now. That's, that's instructive and that's helpful. And I think it's a great reminder that, that, that we don't get this stuff like straight out of the box. It re, you know, it's like um, some assembly required. Some assembly required. Thank you. <laughs> and I think it gets back to what you were saying. And, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a modern day American. I'm just like everybody else. In, 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 but you know, you just learn that you have to go over it. You know, it's not you can't expect. It's not you can't. It's not a you know the Shanghai one is not a set of tweets. You have to go over it. And uh, and even if I think not only when you think you when it's like huh you have to go over it, but when you think you really understand it well, you need to go over it even more because probably you've missed something and you just haven't seen that you missed it. Anyway, that's that's why we that's why we did the book. Hopefully, it turns out that way for people. Well, and even when we know it really well, there's always a little more. Exactly, there's always a little more. You know, and that, and and I know for myself, that thing of I think I understand this. I am asking for trouble. Yeah. So there's that. Well, you guys, thanks so much for today's conversation. For one, always fun for this contribution to our field. Not a small thing, and especially because we're talking both about the Tao and the shoe of the work that we do. The, you, you can't have one without the other. Right. right. I think that's really important to keep in mind. So, yeah, I think it's very important. And uh, no matter what kind, of, what you do, whether even acupuncture or herbs or whatever, you need to keep thinking about this. That um, I can't remember. It's a phrase that's uh, also from the 20s uh, style, but Volker is a big fan of it, and I'm blanking on the Chinese, I'm afraid. But you want to respect the old, but not get stuck in the old. You know, you have to respect what you've, uh, what's come before us, 
but you have to also, and I think on a certain level, you have to have a critical approach, but you have to have the, the zuga, you have to have the stuff to be critical. And that means you can't just read it once and go, well, that's nonsense. You have to read it many, many times and try to use it. And then, you know, maybe after doing it for 50 times, 100 times, you can say, oh, I think that aspect of it isn't quite, doesn't quite match my experience. So I think it's not a question of believing anything, but it's a question of respecting it and uh, taking the time to understand it. And then, and only then, do you have the, uh, I think, the ability to be critical of it. Well, that is certainly helpful advice for this moment in time we live in anyway. So that's useful. All right, you guys, thank you so much. And uh, when will this book be out? Do you have a sense? Um, It's at the printer now. uh, And so this is the early February we're doing this. Uh, I think it should be out in April. The vagaries of uh, printing these days makes anything uh, more precise. You know, it's one of those things. Sometimes in Chinese medicine, precision and accuracy are not, that go against either too precise, you're not going to be accurate. So if I gave a date, I would be inaccurate. But it should be out in April sometime. I look forward to reading it again and again. Well, yeah, I've read it many times myself. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, wonderful. Uh, Dr. Ma, any... Hayo Shoma Yao Shoma? No, thanks, Michael. Thanks very much. Thanks for giving, giving you... Uh, chance talk about uh, the sound. Thank you, Dr. Dambeski. All right, you guys. Until next time, then. Okay, take care. Yeah, take care. You are. I met Dr. Ma in my first week of Chinese medicine school. He was one of the herb teachers. And what I most remember from those very, very early days was just how impossible it all seemed. Because unlike linear Western thinking, where you can stand outside of a system and observe it, with Chinese medicine, there is no outside to stand on. It, in a way, rhymes with quantum physics. The observer is part of the system, not apart from the system. I damn near gave up in those early days, and if it wasn't for a wise-cracking classmate, oddly enough, also from Missouri, I don't think I would have made it through that first semester. He pulled out a little yellow post-it note, you know, the really tiny ones, and in blue ink wrote on it, things take time. He pasted it on the Materia Medica that was the source of my ranting and somehow calmed the turmoil of the moment. I took that little post-it note and taped it to the wall of my study. And those three words, things take time. It helped me to get through those three years of schooling. And what's more, it still does. Hearing Dan talk about how we have to return again and again to the material, even if we don't understand it, but to reliably show up, bring our understanding, confusion, and experience, and give yourself to the learning, without the expectation of immediate results, I found that to be worthwhile. This translation my teachers have worked on for 25 years, it's not just a translation of words. 
It's an invitation to consider the experience of doctors over the centuries, including two from our modern day, who have generously simmered their discussions and inquiry into a book that is one of the cornerstones of our medicine. Things take time. Yes, they most certainly do. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. (laughs) 